This is lesson 11, the Antichrist, his character and attributes. There's a lot to cover, so I'm just going to jump in and read it. Uh, we know all we, we know everybody's heard of the Antichrist. And even if you don't like somebody, you might just call them Antichrist just as a, uh, an ugly name. Uh, but the Bible says a lot of things about it, and it's both Old and New Testament. So let's jump in here and see. We have seen how the spirit of Antichrist is already at work in the earth today. There are already many Antichrists in the earth today. This does not mean that they are the Antichrist, only that they have yielded to the influence of the spirit of Antichrist. And we've covered that. John's uh, epistle, 1 John, tells us that the spirit of Antichrist is already at work in the earth. It causes heretics to rise up. It causes folks to abandon the Christian faith. I was just reading an article late last night on CNN about a, a, a woman who's 30 years old. She went to seminary. She, the, the article said she has over 15,000 hours of Christian training and education. She graduated from Focus on the Family Institute and all this other stuff. And she called her, she said she had post-traumatic church stress syndrome. Basically, she denies Jesus Christ now, and she, she said she has like five steps to recovering from post-traumatic church syndrome. She has spent uh, a year worshiping under 30 different religions, and now she declares she's delivered from religion, and she embraces God. That's the spirit of Antichrist. She bragged about going door-to-door witnessing with Mormons, lifting hands with Pentecostals, clasping hands and folding hands with Catholics, going to a Buddhist, uh, being quiet among the Buddhists, worshiping among the Hindus, and so on and so on. This was her spiritual liberation. And I thought, no, you picked up probably a handful of devils on that stupid trip and wasted money. And you, you have 15,000 hours. That's seven work years of Christian training and a graduate of Focus on the Family Institute in Colorado. And see, the spirit of Antichrist apparently moved upon this woman. She's written a book about it. She's going to make money off of dumb Christians. And that's the spirit of Antichrist. She's not the Antichrist. She just is Antichrist at this point. She could repent if she wants to. So we want to make sure there's a difference. All, lots of folks are Antichrist right now. Our government, to some degree, is Antichrist. Those working in the government. Our Constitution is not Antichrist. Our founding fathers were not Antichrist. But all these weirdos from the 60s are now in government positions. They're working to make our nation Antichrist. The cool thing is, you leave America, we're still known as the Christian nation. We just don't know it here. At least not in our government's eyes. Not according to our current president, anyway. He, he's declared we're not Christian anymore. You may not be Christian, but we are. And we still have God's name on our money, and so we'll keep it there. We will look at the Antichrist, his character and his attributes in this lesson. Though the Bible has has much to say about this man, the one thing not revealed is his name. We don't know who it's going to be. The awesome thing is we won't be here when he's revealed. We'll be gone. But no doubt that spirit of Antichrist that we've covered in previous lessons, it's already working right now to prepare people for his coming. Just like the Spirit of God was moving upon people before Jesus came to prepare them for Jesus' coming, the Spirit of Antichrist is moving in the earth right now to prepare people for the Antichrist's coming. John the Baptist was a forerunner preparing people's hearts for the coming Messiah. And the Spirit of God was moving in his ministry. And people were going out to be baptized and to prepare for the coming Savior. So it is the Antichrist spirit is operating heavily and every day he picks up momentum preparing the hearts of the world and the heathen for a world order, for a singular government. Uh, Right now what the thing you see is secularism. 
What, what that woman has experienced, que sera, sera, all, every religion is the same. She, she is testifying the spirit of Antichrist. All religions are equal. And we know from the Bible that they'll one, become a one world religion and everybody will be equal. And that's secularism. That's where everybody's headed. And we're not. The church is not. But that's where the world is headed. Kind of to jump ahead in, into the timeline. One of the problems the Antichrist is going to have is from the Middle Easterners. They will not accept him. And he will have a lot of opposition from Muslims, apparently. They will not bow because they're committed to Muhammad. Not whatever the Antichrist wants. And we'll cover that next lesson, the opposition the Antichrist has, because he will not be all-powerful. He's been given power to be all-powerful, but he will not succeed. Remember, he has seven years to do his job, and he fails. He really only has three and a half to get it going, and he totally fails. So don't just, we, we, I don't want us to have this fear and trembling mindset that, oh, he's going to win. It's the Antichrist. Woo. Now, he's going to kill a lot of people. And he's going to condemn a lot of people to hell, but he doesn't succeed in his ultimate task. He totally fails in seven years. Totally. And he has opposition the whole time. He doesn't kill every Jew. He doesn't kill every Christian. He doesn't control the whole world. So we can be encouraged in this, despite maybe what evangelistic America did to us in the 70s and 80s with movies and terror. Got a couple people born again, but we're still scared somehow. So let's keep reading here. The Antichrist will be a singular man, so women don't need to apply, who is fully possessed of the spirit of Antichrist. When we talk about the Antichrist, it is one man possessed of all the fullness of that spirit. He will be used of Satan himself to try and take over the world. Satan has always tried to take over the world, and the Antichrist will be his last attempt to do so. That's one thing we can remember. How many times has the devil tried to take over the world, and how many times has he succeeded? None. He's tried many times. He's never succeeded. Hitler was an attempt. Napoleon was an attempt. Perhaps Genghis Khan was an attempt. He's always looking to move on some politician, some dictator to try to ruin the world. But he's never succeeded. Those guys always burn out in about five or ten years. Hitler only had about a ten-year run at it. And actually, from the time he disbanded the Bundestag and the Bundesrag in 38, he had seven years before he committed suicide in a bunker. Seven years. Sounds familiar. Jesus Christ and the Antichrist compared. We want to understand why the Bible so wisely calls him Antichrist. In science, you have matter and antimatter. You have gravity and anti-gravity. In the spirit realm, you have Jesus Christ and Antichrist. Uh, Jesus is the Christ. The Antichrist is the total opposite of Jesus. Below is a biblical comparison originally compiled by the late Dr. Clarence Larkin. Let's look at this, this chart here. We won't have time to look at, we won't look up any of these verses, but just know what the Bible says here. Jesus Christ came from above. Antichrist will ascend from the pit. You have the positive and the negative, the type and the anti-type. Christ came in his father's name. Antichrist will come in his own name. Christ humbled himself. Antichrist will exalt himself. Christ was despised. Antichrist uh, will be admired. Christ will be exalted. Antichrist will be cast down to hell. Christ came to do his father's will. Antichrist will come to do his own will. We could honestly say Satan's will. Christ came to save. Antichrist will come to destroy. Christ is the good shepherd. Zechariah actually calls the Antichrist the idle shepherd. Bet you didn't know that. Christ is the true vine. Revelation calls Antichrist the vine of the earth. Coming up out of the sin and the curse. 
Christ is the truth. Antichrist is the lie. Christ is the holy one. Antichrist is the lawless one. I, I like that. Recognize that the opposite of holiness is lawlessness. We've covered that. We want to be careful that we're not lawless. That's, our, that's the attitude of our nation. Uh, as we always quote around here, the heathen, rules were made to be broken. That's not Bible. That's pagan doctrine. We don't want to be lawless. We want to be holy. And the cool thing about the law, though the law will never make you righteous, you're, you're as righteous as you're ever going to be in Christ because you're the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. The law will make you holy. If the law says don't look at pornography, you obey the law. You don't look at pornography, that makes you holy. The opposite of holy is lawlessness. So let's not be lawless. Christ is the man of sorrows. Antichrist is the man of sin. Christ is the son of God. Antichrist is the son of perdition. The word perdition means eternal judgment and damnation. Christ is the mystery of godliness. God manifest in the flesh. Antichrist will be the mystery of iniquity. Satan manifest in the flesh. So that's a pretty neat list that was compiled over 100 years ago by a man who had a great insight to eschatology and end time events. So let's jump here. Let's look at biblical names for the Antichrist. These are kind of, this is an in-depth, intense lesson. We could honestly spend six months studying the Antichrist, but I want to wrap this thing up in the month of July. This has been an exhausting study for me, and I'm ready to move on with something else. Something happier. <laughs> so here's some biblical names describing the Antichrist. He is the man of sin. Uh, he is the embodiment of sin and rebellion. First John tells us that whosoever abides in sin, it lives in death. And we know Jesus said, you're of your father, the devil, for he sins from the beginning. We want to make sure we cannot be described as men or women of sin. If we are, then we're, we're more like Satan. We're, we're exemplifying his characters and not the characteristic of Jesus Christ. Don't forget, we're Christians and Christians are supposed to live clean. Christians are supposed to look like Jesus. Christians are supposed to smell like Jesus. Christians are supposed to forgive. Christians don't get their feelings hurt. Christians don't live in a, pornogra a pornographic lifestyle. Christians don't slander. Christians don't stomp off and take their toys home with them. Christians love people. But the man of sin, well, he gets his own way. He throws a pity party when he gets his feelings hurt. He's not faithful. He does what he wants. That's selfishness. Uh, Satan, excuse me, Antichrist is also called the son of perdition. The word perdition, as we previously said, refers to the fact that he's uh, going to be eternally judged for eternal damnation. Uh, his very existence awaits eternal judgment. If there's any positive light, it's that he's already judged, he's already sentenced, he's already condemned, and all we have to do is walk the thing out. Yes, he will come. Yes, we know what he will do, and he will be successful in a measure. But in the end, he's a failure. He will successfully kill people. He will successfully talk folks into giving up salvation and take the mark of the beast and condemn themselves to eternal hell. But he fails ultimately. He doesn't win. He's a total failure when it's said and done. He's called the lawless one. He submits to no law. And actually, Daniel 7.25 says he seeks to change times and existing laws. I think we can see that in our country right now. Our country is seeking to uh, circumvent our Constitution. The spirit of Antichrist is seeking to change our times and laws. Uh, when we know our founding fathers based our Constitution on the Bible, and they built our three-part Constitution and government based on the Bible, where the Bible says that God is our judge, our, our, our king, 
and he's also our lawgiver. And that's how we have based our government. God, we have a president, a king. We have judges, the judicial branch, and we have lawgivers. We have the uh, legislative branch. Our founding fathers were so smart, inspired of God and the Holy Ghost to build our constitution for our republic here. We're not a democracy, we're a republic. But now we have the spirit of Antichrist working in our nation to change our laws. And though they, they know folks will throw a fit if they try to amend our constitution, they'll never do it. They'll step outside the country to the UN to try to get international law that would somehow seemingly in their eyes contradict or trump what we do here as a sovereign nation. That's going to beg for war. But that's what the Antichrist wants. That's what the devil wants. I don't know where all that's going to pan out, but we know that in the end we're going to be safe. The Holy Ghost is going to protect us. Uh, even during the reign of the Antichrist, the Bible is very clear in the Revelation that the Holy Spirit will speak to the Jews to flee to the wilderness of Edom. And they will hang out there and Edom will take care of them. And this Antichrist will not succeed even against Israel in those days. Because God's going to win this thing. But the fullness of time must come to fruition. The other thing that's interesting in Daniel it says that basically none of this can come to pass until the fullness of transgressors are here. None of this can happen until everybody wants it dirty and filthy enough. Now we're getting there pretty quick. The world is in love with sin. The world is in love with pleasure. The world is in love with selfishness. The world is in love with getting their own way. The, lo the world is in love. And uh, I'm reminded in, in um, Abraham's day, God promised Abraham, you'll have the promised land, but not yet, for the fullness of sins has not come. Basically, God was saying, I can't give you the promised land yet. They're not filthy enough to be, merit destruction. And that's what he says in Daniel about the end of the world and the Antichrist. That can't come until the world is filthy enough and worthy of it. In the end, God's going to be just in what he does. He will justly destroy his enemies. And that includes human beings. And that might even include some of our extended family. So we ought to pray for him. Know this, that when God destroys his enemies, he's just in doing so. He's right. And it's those people that will curse. The revelation tells us when wrath is poured out on the earth, they will not repent. They will shake their fist at God and curse him. That's a stiff, stubborn heart. <laughs> Why would you not cry uncle? Even those jujitsu guys know when their arm's about to be broken and they cry uncle and they tap out. Apparently, the hearts and the transgressions of people will be so hard, even when God is smiting them, and it is the Lord that smites them with plagues, they will curse him, even though they know it is him doing it to their sin, because they want to cling to their sin that strong. They're willing to go to hell to enjoy another day of sin. We want to make sure that kind of attitude is nowhere near us. We don't defend sin. We acknowledge it. We say, Lord, I messed up again. I don't want to be lawless. I don't want to be the son of perdition. Lord, I don't want to be anything like that. I don't want to change your law. We actually even see that attitude in the church. We have a lot of heretic preachers changing the laws of God. Oh, you don't have to confess your sin anymore. You're saved by grace. You don't have to go to church anymore. You don't have to be a tither. You don't have to do the work of an evangelist. You don't, you don't have to be a heterosexual. Like, like we're hearing all these Christians say now, hey, how can God judge me for falling in love with who I fall in love with? I can't help who I fall in love with. So the Bible doesn't teach you where to set your affection. <laughs> it's the spirit of Antichrist. And we see it at work even in churches, even among ourselves sometimes. 
We're not antichrist, but sometimes that spirit moves upon us and we have to resist it and yield to the spirit of the holy Christ. He's called the wicked one. The world will have a leader after their own heart. Just like God gave Israel uh, uh, Saul because they wanted a leader after their own heart. The antichrist will be the leader the world wants. That's the powerful thing about faith. Even when it's not in Jesus Christ, faith gets what it wants. That's why this nation has to be careful in our next election, because we'll get what we want. We have to make sure what we want is biblical right. Uh, I, I never have dabbled much into politics, but now that I stand on this side of the pulpit, I see things a little bit more clearly. You have to be careful that you vote righteous. And you don't vote for people that promote abortion, which is murder, or promote Islam, which is demon religion, or promote homosexuality, which is an abomination. You can't vote for people that support those things. They're not of your father. Yet, as Dr. Barclay points out, every president who's ever been elected had the church's vote. In this nation, you can't get elected without a chunk of the church's vote. Because this is the Christian nation. So how stupid are some Christians for voting some of these people into power? What are they moved on by? Not the Holy Ghost. Maybe not demons, but maybe just social stuff, culture, fame, what my grandfather was. Dr. Barclay, so I, I wanted to get offended at this statement at first, but then I got to thinking about it. No president has ever been elected without the church's vote. Good, bad, horrible. Even some of our best presidents, like Ronald Reagan, his wife brought astrologers and all that junk into the White House. Nancy Reagan loved that stuff. And the church, you know, I think he was a good president. I don't know why we're dealing with politics. But Nancy Reagan, and he was a very strong Christian man, Ronald Reagan was. But Nancy brought in that, that famous uh, palm-reading psychic. Uh, I can't remember her name. She's on billboards now. She's just heavily demonized, just a wretch. And I guarantee you, if that happened 30 years ago, that stuff still happens today. Who are they meeting with in private? And we vote them in. So we need Jesus. There will be no good Democrat. There will be no good Republican. There will be no good Tea Party candidate. We're waiting for the Lord Jesus's kingdom and of the increase of his kingdom, there shall be no end. We're not about being Republicans. We're not about being Tea Party. We're not about being Democrat. We're about being Christians and forcing his kingdom in the spirit now as best we can and occupying till he comes. The awesome news is, and this is my personal conviction now having studied all this, we know there's a lot of parallels between the days of Lot and the days of Noah in our day. Uh, the Bible tells us that honestly, uh, Lot was not delivered till it got so bad his soul was vexed every day. So that kind of corresponds with Daniel and that this thing cannot come to an end until the fullness of transgressors has come. I think by the time we're raptured, my personal opinion will be so grieved with day to day life. We'll be ready to get out of here. It didn't take much persuading of Lot. He just wanted to make sure his family went with him and most did not. I think it'll get so bad we'll be grieved by even our own nation if you're not already by our school districts if you're not already, by our politicians if you're not already, by the media if you're not already, by your next door neighbor if you're not already. 
And the Bible, and that's what the Bible says. If the Lord knows how to deliver Lot, whose righteous soul was vexed daily, he knows how to deliver us. And the Bible even says that of, of Noah, that his soul, he, the Lord saved eight souls from the sin of the day. Not people, souls. We read it as it says that he delivered just eight people. It doesn't say eight people. It says eight suitcases, eight mind, wills, and emotions because of the vexation of the sin of the day. This thing will only get filthier and filthier and filthier and filthier and filthier and filthier because the flesh and the heathen love sin. And that's where it's headed. We cannot stop it. It's prophesied. It's a Bible promise. It must come to pass. We cannot stop the end times. All we can do is walk with Jesus closer than ever and resist the spirit of antichrist and resist the filth of the world and resist the filth of the media and walk closer with Jesus than we ever have before. So he's called the wicked one. He's called a king. Don't don't forget he is called a king. He will rule and he will have power. His promotion will come through Satan himself. So he will be the world leader. And you just need to keep that in mind. The Bible already calls him the God of this world. The, the, the devil is, and of course, the spirit of Antichrist is one of his spirits. He's called the little horn. And in Bible prophecy, both in the book of Daniel and Revelation, horns represent leaders or uh, kings, politicians of sorts. And uh, the Antichrist, I think, is pretty funny. He's called the little horn. There's big horns, but he's called the little horn. <laughs> a horn represents a kingdom or a ruling power. He will rule, but in the end, he is still just little in the eyes of God. I like that. Like Isaiah says, when, we, when he's finally cast down, the nations will say, is this he that weakened the nations? This is him? This is who we were afraid of? Even those that walk into the millennial reign, they'll look, this is the little, what a little horn. Look at you so little. And we submitted to you. I think it's funny. The Lord has to call him a little horn. (laughs) The Antichrist's attributes. This is where I want to kind of slow down a little bit and bog down. The book of Daniel and the Revelation reveal a great deal to us about the Antichrist. We know he will be a political figure of some sort for only they can rule people. Let us see what else the Bible says about him. We need to understand he is going to be a politician because according to Daniel, he makes a covenant with Israel and with other people. And it will probably be a great peace treaty. The Bible talks to us about the battle of Gog and Magog, which they believe, a lot of folks, Dr. Barclay believes, um, that has has to happen before we're raptured. A great final war against Israel, uh, which, of course, that rattles every day. Iran is always talking about this, and you just don't mess with Israel. They just fire up some jets, and they'll just nuke you off the earth. There will be some, most theologians, most end-time prophecy experts Uh, They believe there'll be a final battle before the church is raptured because of the battle of Gog and Magog. And we don't have time to go into that. And I don't know enough about it to teach it this morning. That will probably require a peace treaty and that will be signed by the Antichrist. He will have some kind of world power to be able to enter into an agreement with Israel. That's where most folks believe, most prophecy experts believe the seven year tribulation will start. Daniel tells us it's a seven year treaty. That's the last week of Daniel's weeks. It's a seven-year treaty, and the Bible tells us that the Antichrist breaks it halfway through the seven-year period, and that becomes the Great Tribulation. That seven-year treaty is called the Tribulation. The last three and a half years is called the Great Tribulation. Only a politician, only a world leader would have that power to enter into an agreement with Israel to say, hey, stop, you're kicking our tails. (laughs) 
please. And we'll stop. We'll pull our armies out. That's got to happen. That treaty, there has to be a reason for a treaty. You follow me? There has to be a reason for a peace treaty with Israel. And that's why most prophecy experts believe there'll be another war against Israel while the church is still here. So he's a politician. But let's look at some attributes. World-class orator. Several passages let us know that he will be a very confident, very eloquent, and persuasive speaker. The funny thing about humans, we're a sucker for good speech. We are stupid. I don't know what you thought about President Bush. He brought us through 9-11. He's kept us safe. His legacy of all that is still here. He was not a good speaker. But you're not stupid if you can graduate from Yale. So he just has this really goofy persona. And he's still mocked for it. In fact, when folks do impersonations of President George W. Bush, it's not ever a good one. <laughs> just like Nixon's is, I'm not a crook. Uh, George W. Bush's is not one. He was not a good speaker, and therefore he was very ridiculed, though he did a great, lot of great things for our nation and, and brought us through terrorism and got a second term and, uh, you know, what have you. Apparently the Antichrist from the Bible is going to be a very slick speaker. And we, we are just, politicians are good at it, but what happens when you're demon-enhanced for slick talking? Just as Hitler and Mussolini were great orators who privately planned destruction and their nations loved them. Their nations were in love with Hitler and Mussolini. They privately planned destruction. So too the Antichrist will woo the masses with sugar-coated death. Remember, Jesus said many times, be careful when they say peace, peace unto you. Jesus had to warn several times, be cautious when they say peace, peace. Even Ezekiel and Jeremiah rebuking the false prophets who were inspired of demons. They said they prophesy peace unto you, but woe, death is here. Same spirit will work on this man, the Antichrist. His eloquence will make his blasphemies palatable to mankind. How have we sugarcoated homosexuality? Oh, who are we to judge people? You can't help who you fall in love with. I fell in love with the idea of murdering somebody. Can I help that? You better believe you can help it. I fell in love with the tree. Cut the thing down. Jesus said, if your arm offends you, cut the thing off. The Bible's very strict. We, we have had slick preachers talk us into blasphemies through their confidence, through their strong voice, through their winking, blinking, and nodding at you, and through their polish. And we've suckered churches into being stupid heretics along with the heretic they follow. Same spirit will be on the Antichrist, but probably a million fold because he is the Antichrist. Here's some verses that back it up. Daniel 7, 8b. And behold, in this horn were eyes like the eyes of man, talking about the little horn, and a mouth speaking great things, proud things, impressive things, boastful things. That's kind of giving us some descriptions of the little horn. In this horn, Daniel says, he had a mouth that could speak great things. Daniel 7, 20b, even of that horn that had eyes and a mouth that spake very great things, whose look was more stout than his fellows. Again, another verse that in the Hebrew says, very impressive, eloquent, boastful, confident things. If there's one thing I've learned about leadership and people, people follow somebody who acts like they know what they're doing. Even if they don't, if you... If you act like you know what you're doing, people will follow you. And I've proved that time and time again in my own personal life. And, and maybe you, you think about who you want to follow. That guy just has confidence. He doesn't have a clue where he's going, but he sure acts like it. And I could use some of that. This Antichrist will be very confident. 
We're, we're sucker for it. Actually, I think most Christians nowadays are even, well, maybe some, some Christians, we don't fall for politicians. We know before the election comes who we're voting for. I don't know who these people are who they poll and they say they're undecided. <laughs> You're kidding me. You knew before the election season hit who you were going to vote for. It's going to be the Democratic candidate. It's going to be the Republican candidate. Or I'm going to write in Ralph Nader again. <laughs> if you remember Ralph Nader. <laughs> now, uh, people are a sucker for slick speech. And these politicians promise us the world and everybody cheers at their conventions. Ooh, and they don't deliver an ounce. And next election, they promise us the world times 10 again. Ooh, that's it. That's my man. Change is coming. And they don't deliver an ounce. Great boastful things. We have to be careful. Revelation 13, 5a. And there were given unto him a mouth speaking great things and blasphemies. So unto this man is given a mouth speaking great things. Again, in the Revelation, a thousand years, well, actually 500, 600 years after Daniel, the same thing is said. This man is given by the, by, by the spirit of Antichrist, by Lucifer, a mouth to speak great things and blasphemies. So they up the ante. Not just great things, but blasphemies. Look, deceitful. Did you expect him to be a truthful antichrist? Yeah, deceitful. That should be a gimme. It should come as no surprise the antichrist will be deceptive. His deception will flourish for a short season, no more than seven years. He will win the hearts of people through his deception. You know, you can look at somebody and you know they're lying to you, but if it's what you want to hear, you'll like it. If you can't tell me the truth, at least lie to me and make me feel good. The seeker-friendly church has proved that. They lie to Christians every Sunday, and they make them feel awesome. And yet those folks go home knowing they're a mess. The Antichrist will be very deceptive. We should not be deceptive. We should speak the truth as plain as play can be. No guile, no part of the story that makes us look good and the part that makes us look bad we withhold. We don't want to be anything like that. We want to be full of truth and nothing like this Antichrist fellow. Look at Daniel 8.25a. And through his policy also shall he cause craft to prosper his hand. So he does have a policy. And he causes his craft, his craftiness. I would tell you it's probably a policy of deception. Now, we're not conspiracy theorists. Those people are really weird and spend too much time on the Internet. But do you really believe everything our government has told us for 30 years? It's policy. And it causes them to prosper. There's no such thing as a righteous government. Not even David. David was deceptive, planned against his own man, had an affair. He was the first adulterating politician there was. Now, I'm sure there were many more before him. He just happens to be the godliest king Israel ever had. This kingdom, this kingdom of Antichrist, this, this world leader, he'll be deceptive. And through his crafts and through his policy, he'll cause his hand to prosper. Uh, Beck's translation says he will succeed in all his clever and treacherous ways. God's word translation says he will cleverly use his power to deceive others successfully. Do not forget that the gospels say, as well as the epistles, the Lord will send strong delusion. So people will be deceived. The Lord himself will allow it to happen. A strong delusion and the world will love it. Because their heart does not obey the truth. That's why we've got to preach the truth. Let me, let me add this on there on the evangelistic side. Our job is not to convert anybody. Our job is only to go up to somebody and say, Jesus saves. Have a good day. All we're to do is testify of him. 
All we have to do is get in the face of a Muslim and say, Jesus is the true way. Those words there will haunt that Muslim for weeks because the Holy Spirit will do something with it. You don't have to convert anybody. You don't have to beg anybody. But our job is to give the word Jesus out there to testify of him. That way, should they reject him, God will destroy him and he'll be just for it. Now, I know we're kind of emphasizing the not so nice part of God, but it's been there all along. And uh, one thing Mr. Darrell pointed out that I love, you can feel it. And I, I agree with what he says. If, if, if you pray or if you kind of sense things, you can feel we're kind of coming to the end of this dispensation because things are changing. We're not, got, we don't have that, we're not so much emphasizing the lovey, uh, squishy aspect of God 24-7. We're talking about the law again. We're talking about the wrath of God again. We're talking about getting ready for his coming all this stuff that precedes a change in the program. And so we have to be very mindful of this. Just like Jesus Christ came, and Mr. Darrell, this is what was his revelation, I really appreciate it. He said, you pastor, you could see it in the Gospels. Jesus Christ came, and he was transitioning for the church. And in a sense, he was breaking some laws. He was extending a lot of mercy and a lot of grace, and a lot of mercy and a lot of grace. He was still obeying the law, telling people that he would heal, who were probably sinful, to go and offer this uh, the sacrifice of Moses as a testimony, but he was transitioning the thing. And now we're about to transition again. And so though we're in the dispensation of grace, you can feel wrath creeping in. You can feel the law creeping in. And it's a, it's a change in the season of God. We're still under grace and we'll still preach evangelistic warm messages. Just like Friday night when we had the, uh, uh, the vacation Bible school people here. Man, I'd never felt so encouraging as a, as a pastor talking to a bunch of backslidden Christians. If those were folks in my church, it wouldn't have been that soft and squishy. But you feel the warmth and the mercy and the grace. Hey, you got to get back in church. Let's do better. But we, so we'll never lose the grace of God. But you can feel this thing's getting serious because we're running out of time to tell people about Jesus, to testify of Jesus, to lay hands on people and to get folks ready for the coming of Jesus Christ. You can feel it. The world is not settled and it never will be. You'll also notice the world is taking on one personality. We no longer really have nations where I was just driving today thinking overseas. Uh, they, they dress like I do now and I dress like them. Even one great businessman, he said he realized it was one world when he went over to a Muslim nation and he saw them shopping at Gap and drinking Starbucks. He said, we don't have nations anymore. This great businessman, he said, we have one world. The youth of this generation are as American as they want to be. They're westernized. The world is taking on one homogenous personality fit for one man to try to rule them. He will be deceptive and he will cleverly use his power to deceive others successfully. Look at 2 Thessalonians 2, 9 and 10. Even him whose coming is after the working of Satan with all power and signs and lying wonders. And with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish. Notice all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish. He can deceive those that perish. He can deceive those that don't have the truth. He can deceive those that don't know Jesus Christ. Now, if you and I leave Jesus Christ to flirt with sin or to back off or to quit church, we'll be able to be deceived. Only by constantly fellowshipping with the truth of the Bible and the truth of a church family and the truth of worship and prayer, only that will keep you from being deceived. Otherwise, you're fair game. You're easy pickings. 
Just like the lion goes for the weakest one straggling the pack, our adversary, the lion, will watch you. Oh, that person doesn't have a daily teaching from the Word of God or a daily pastorship in their life or a daily church attendance or a weekly church attendance. That person there is ripe. Let me send one of my minions across their path to put some doubt in their head. Before long, you're like the person we shared with at the first part of Sunday school. 15,000 hours of Christian training and education and just went through her post-traumatic church syndrome, traveling the world, worshiping in 30 religions in 30 months or something. You're confused. (laughs) Even your little stomach can't handle 30 world-class meals in 30 days. You'll be sick from the one three days ago because it has some spice in it you've never had. And you want to try 30 religions in 30 months or whatever she did? With all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish, because they received not the love of the truth that they might be saved. That's the key. Antichrist will flourish in the hearts of the heathen. If we're saints and we love God, we love the word, we love Jesus, we got to stick close to him or this thing can move us and get us out of out of the way. Any of you ever given into temptation? Yeah, we all have. Today? Yeah, probably. So we're not as strong as we want to boast ourselves. We must daily rely on Jesus Christ. That's all I'm saying. Not trying to whip us for being tempted today. Just saying, we're not as strong as we think we are. We've got to walk with Jesus. Next point, do you know he's a homosexual? That's a good way to win the homosexual. Hey, you're gay. The Antichrist is going to be gay. What? I'm not saying you're gay. You're an Antichrist, Mr. Gay Man. I'm just saying that you and the Antichrist have something really big in common. Yeah. The scriptures give interesting information concerning the Antichrist's sexual orientation. Daniel eleven thirty seven. Neither shall he regard the God of his fathers, nor the desire of women, nor regard any God, for he shall magnify himself above all. That's pretty plain and simple. He's not going to regard the desire of women. Revelation eleven eight. And their dead bodies, talking about the two witnesses, shall lie in the street of that great city, which spiritually is called Sodom and Egypt, where also our Lord was crucified. Antichrist moves his head of operations to Jerusalem. And the Bible calls it spiritually Sodom. Jesus Christ was died, was crucified and raised from the dead in that great city. But spiritually at this point, the Lord calls it Sodom. Well, you take the Antichrist there, it's not going to be called the heavenly Jerusalem. (laughs) It's going to be called ground zero for hell. So spiritually, the Lord calls Jerusalem in that day Sodom and Egypt, two of the worst cities ever in Bible, actually all history. Sodom, we understand, represents sexual immorality. But to understand this about Sodom, Ezekiel says the sin of Sodom was first pride, then laziness and abundance of bread. So there'll be a lot of prosperity there. Only those things, only industrialized nations are prosperous enough to develop a homosexual community. Only industrialized nations are prosperous and lazy enough to develop homosexual communities. Did you know they don't march for gay rights when there's no food in the cupboards? They don't march for gay rights when bullets are being shot and bombs are being dropped. 
You only get to march for that kind of sin and stand up for it and wave a flag and design a website when there's peace and money. So that land, that city is going to be called Sodom. And it's because the Antichrist moves his head of operations. We know he kicks God off the Ark of the Covenant and erects his, his throne in the temple there. And that makes it his household. It makes it his domain. It makes it his seat. And it becomes called spiritually Sodom. The Antichrist will not desire women. And when he moves his activities to Jerusalem, it causes Jerusalem to be known as a spiritual Sodom in Egypt. Sodom speaks of sexual immorality, specifically homosexuality. That's where we get the word sodomy. And Sodomite, which is, you guys know what that is. We won't define it. And Egypt speaks of heathen worship. That's what the Egyptians have always been known for, heathen worship. Actually, I just saw this week in the news, there is now a political movement in Egypt to destroy the pyramids. Because Egypt is Islam now. It's Muslim. And those represent other gods, and the Muslims aren't happy about it. So there's actually a political movement. I just read this this weekend in Egypt to destroy those magnificent wonders. I don't care if they are to the pharaohs. They're cool to look at. And throw something else out there, make your heart go wow. The Great Pyramid of Giza, the first one, the oldest of them all, is not a tomb. In fact, one or two theologians believe it was probably built by Job. Because of all the measurements in there line up with a lot of biblical allegory. Don't have time to go into it. It would take me probably a week to study it, to wrap my mind around it, and then an hour to teach it all. On top of that, I, I, well, it's just cool. I have to print the stuff off. The, the one theologian, actually the guy, Dr. Clarence Larkin, who gave us this wonderful comparison, he had this great hypothesis 100 years ago that it was probably built by Job because it speaks of Christ way before Christ ever came. All the insides. There's not a single tomb in there. There's no gold in there. There's no treasures in there. Uh, the way the st- it was lined up when it was built, lined up with the, uh, the astro charts with Virgo the Virgin and Leo the Lion and the lion conquering lion of the tribe of Judah. But it was that pyramid that the pharaohs came and modeled their tombs and their treasure cities after. So just an interesting side note about history. Job lived a long time. He was very wealthy and walked with God. So I'm sure he's kind of smart. He could have accomplished something like that. So Egypt represents pagan heathen worship and not even the Muslims appreciate it. So they want to destroy. And I was reading some of the posts and the comments. They said, you can't do that. They don't belong to Egypt. They belong to the world. You don't just go destroy a 7,000-year-old wonder of the earth and nobody can figure out how they did it because you want to, you know. If we had it in our backyard, we wouldn't destroy it. We'd say, that's kind of cool. Let's go climb on it, throw an airplane off of it. Let me wrap up here. He's irreligious. That means he has no religion. The Antichrist will not honor any one religion. He will not be devout about anything but himself. Daniel eleven thirty seven says, Nor will he regard any God, for he will magnify himself above all. He will not push a Muslim agenda or a Jewish agenda. He will push Satan's agenda of world domination. He has a fierce countenance. The Antichrist will have anger issues and a mighty face. Daniel eight twenty three says, And in the latter time of their kingdom, when the transgressors are come to the full, a king of fierce countenance. And understanding dark sentences shall stand up. Daniel 7.20 says, Whose look was more stout than his fellows. One of the interesting things is the word fellows there is feminine male in the Hebrew. Actually, uh, it's Aramaic because it's the book of Daniel. And Dr. Hilton Sutton points out that his fellows refers to homosexuals. Fellows. The word fellows there, Daniel 7.20b. In the, in the Aramaic Feminine, neutral, gender, nuitive, whatever. 
It's all way over my head. It refers to feminine men, which uh, theologians point out is another proof that he runs with homosexuals. His countenance is more stout than his fellows. NIV says he looked more imposing. Berkeley translation says he seemed stronger. The Antichrist will have a presence that is quite intimidating. No doubt this is due to the extreme demon possession. The Bible has provided us with some insight into the characteristics of the Antichrist. Next, we will cover his assignment. Be encouraged, though, and remember he cannot accomplish it with us here. (laughs) We are the great restrainer. Praise God. So that concludes this lesson. Hopefully you learned something out of it. We had to move rather quickly through it. Uh, Next week, we're going to cover his assignment, his power, and his opposition. And you'll see that he's really not as successful as we're afraid he might be. But we are going to have turbulent waters, but that's the best time to have. That's the most fun. Nobody goes placid river rafting. They go whitewater river rafting because it's fun. And you just hang on and enjoy the ride. And the guide will get you there to the end and you'll be safe. And we're going to have a wild ride these last couple years before Christ comes back. But you just hang on and trust the guide to get you down river and enjoy the ride. And and we'll uh, we'll have a good time. It'll be all right. We'll go to heaven. God wants you to take care of your kids. He's going to take care of your kids and he's going to provide for you. Even if you were a slave in Egypt, he'd still give you what you needed. So hopefully you learned something. I appreciate you being here. Uh, We'll uh, stop and be ready for service at uh, 30 after.